Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the I Can Tell That We Are Gonna Be Friends edition, as I take an in-depth look at day three of the draft before Dave Lapham joins me for an overview of the Bengals' entire draft class. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since getting to interview players right after they're drafted. One of the fun things about covering an NFL team is getting to interview the draft picks shortly after they hear their name called. Think about it. You're getting to talk to somebody within 30 minutes of one of the greatest moments of their life. You can feel the joy and the pride and the realization that all of their hard work has paid off. Trust me, it never gets old. The big story for the Bengals on day three of the draft was that they had three fourth-round draft picks as they picked up two from the Patriots for moving down eight spots in the second round. The hope is that one of those fourth-rounders will turn out to be the next Geno Atkins or Domata Pecco or Carl Lawson, all fourth-round picks by the Bengals since 2006. The Bengals' first fourth-round pick this year, which was their own, was used on edge rusher Cam Sample from Tulane. He's 6'2 267 pounds, and earned first-team all-conference honors by leading the American in quarterback pressures. Daniel Jeremiah had Sample ranked as the 87th best player in the draft, and the Bengals got him with pick number 111. Here's Tulane head coach, Willie Fritz. Coach, the Bengals had three fourth-round draft picks. They used their first one on Cam Sample, defensive end from Tulane. Tell us about uh, a guy who started for you for the last three years. Well, he played a ton for us as a true freshman. You know, just uh, really, I think, a great overall player. He's super hands. You know, he can get on blocks and get off blocks quickly. Very... uh, uh, you know, versatile as far as being able to play. We played him a little bit at nose guard and played him in the shade on the center. We played him in the B gap, you know, both as a three technique and a four eye technique. And then this, oh, the last two seasons, we started getting him out on the edge on the tackles, even dropped him into space a little bit. Uh, I think he's going to be able to contribute in the kicking game as well. He's, you know, really good movement in space and big body you know you can't have enough of those guys on kickoff return punt pump block kickoff you know you play a tight end wing on extra point field goal so i think the Bengals got him a great one and he's just a fantastic person i, I mean i had him for four years never had any issues with him he's uh you know just an adult that takes care of business 24 7 We're talking to Tulane head coach Willie Fritz. He was first-team all-conference this year. He led the American in pressures and had five sacks. The Bengals have struggled to find pass rushers in recent seasons. How does he project as an NFL pass rusher? Well, he's relentless. You know, he's going to keep coming and keep coming, you know, the whole time. Teams started scheming against him and chipping him with a back. Uh. You know, he, he even is effective rushing from a two-point stance. Most of the time, those guys that are his size are going to have their hand in the dirt and, and jump off the ball, uh, you know, uh, that way. But uh, he can do it from a two-point stance or a three-point stance. 
and you know, when you get in an uh, obvious passing situation, I think you can drop him down in there and have him play a three technique, get him on a guard, even get him on a center. On occasion, he'll be able to, you know, out athlete that particular guy. So he can do it from a lot of different spots. He's very, very versatile. He earned a senior bowl invitation and then took advantage of it, earning top defensive lineman honors on the American squad. Did you start to hear from friends in the NFL after that about, whoa, this guy really made an impression? Yeah, you know, it didn't surprise us. We, we, you know, we just watched him do it every day, you know, because he's, he's so durable. He just missed, I don't even know if he missed any games while he played for us, uh, you know, through four years of playing week after week after week. I went to the Senior Bowl. We're only about you know, a couple hours away from Mobile, and they didn't allow uh, coaches on the field this season because of you know COVID nineteen protocol. So I was up in the stands, and it had, it had been his third or fourth day there, and I knew that he was must be doing a heck of a job because I was having coaches seeking me out in the stands. You know, from NFL teams wanting to talk about him because uh, he had just impressed him so much. So. Yeah, I heard a lot of great, great things about him. I think that, you know, Bengals got a steal in the fourth round. He said in his conference call with the Cincinnati media that he is far from a finished product. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, you know, because he, he was play, played more inside for us uh, uh, early. And, uh, you know, he had a great high school career. But we were really his, his, one of his only Division One offers that he had. We, we got him in the last week or two. And. You know, he. Uh, I think there's a lot of room for improvement. You know, you got to figure out how big you want him to get because I think in another year or two he could be 285 pounds, you know, and handle that weight uh, effectively. I think he's, uh, you know, is just only going to get better as an edge rusher, uh, you know, because most of his career he played either in the A gap or the B gap. So, yeah, I think he's uh, definitely got room for improvement. And he'll, do, he'll do it. He's a hard hard-working guy. I, the last couple of weeks, he was here in town, and I have my balcony right outside of uh, my office. And I'll go out there and make phone calls. I like walking when I'm talking on the phone like a lot of people, and I don't know how many times I'd, I'd go out there, and he was out there on the sled or, you know, doing things by himself, you know, just trying to perfect his craft. Well, it's an exciting day for Cam and his family, and it's also an exciting day for the people that helped him along the way, including you and your coaching staff. So congratulations, and I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. With her second fourth-round pick, number 122 overall, the Bengals selected humongous defensive tackle Tyler Shelvin out of LSU. He's 6'2 and 350 pounds, depending on what he had for his last meal. Shelvin opted out last year after playing a gigantic role, pun intended, on LSU's national championship team in 2019. Here's the voice of the Tigers, Chris Blair. All right, Chris, I have heard Tyler Shelvin described as an immovable object and a tree stump. How would you describe the big defensive lineman that the Bengals selected in the fourth round? <laughs> Those are pretty good, uh, two pretty good descriptive uh, terms and phrases. I, I mean, he's He's a space eater, but I'll tell you what, what I enjoyed about watching Tyler Shelvin play at LSU, Dan, and that was the fact that, you know, to be as big as he is, 6'3", 6'4", 346 pounds, whatever those numbers are, you don't see a lot of humans walking around at that size. Um, I was always fascinated by his quick feet. 
um, you know, he was able to, when you, you know, you don't see it so much in real time, but when you go back and, and watch plays where he was disruptive or he was taking a double team on, um, you know, it, the way he moved his feet very quickly. Now he's not going to outrun you in a 40 yard dash, but in those first couple of steps allows him to get the pad leverage he needs with his size that he becomes a nightmare for, for offensive linemen up front. And, you know, that allows your defensive ends and linebackers to, to have a chance to get back there and disrupt things. And, you know, he's kind of the, he's kind of the head of the spear, large head of the spear, but he's kind of the head of the spear, especially when you look back to the 2019 defense. How important was he to the national championship team? I think, you know, Tyler's a great story and, and I'm and, and just, you know, being around him some, I'm very pleased to see him make it to this level because again, as I said, you come out of high school bigger than everybody else. You're going to draw the attention, not only of college football coaches and recruiters, but, but power five football coaches and recruiters uh, took a little while to, to kind of learn the, the preparation and the work off the field for Tyler, which resulted in a red shirt year. Uh, I think LSU did a great job in developing, you know, his off the field habits, you know, his nutrition, how he trained, trying to build up his stamina. And I think we saw the culmination of all that and the dedication by Tyler to, to really put the work in on the back end of the 2019 season. He got to be in on more plays. He was in longer during series. And he was just disruptive for, for a defense that had a number of players around him who would make the play and make the tackle. But you go back and look, play after play after play, it all started with what Tyler Shelvin did to just totally disrupt whatever the offensive line had in mind. They had to keep in mind Tyler Shelvin. And and I thought that, you know, he opted out, which, which again, we understood during the pandemic year. But to me, what was going to be great to see, should he have played in 2020, was him building up that stamina and again, just being, just wreaking havoc on every snap of the football. We didn't get to see that, but we saw shades of it on the back end of 2019. I thought he was one of the more improved players for the entire team in that championship run. We're talking to the voice of the Tigers, Chris Blair. He battled weight issues early in his career. He admits that he had to mature. Do you think that those things are behind him? Did he more or less learn his lesson early in his LSU career? Yeah, I think so, and a lot of credit goes to Ed Ogeron. He used to give Tyler a lot of trouble that he could have the gumbo, just leave the rice, take <laughs> the rice. Um, you know, and that's how that's how Ed he did it in a playful but 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 you know teaching way. And I think what he showed Tyler was that number one, guess what? You're in on more plays, which gives you an opportunity to shine. And when you do these things it's going to better yourself. And I really, because of the way he consistently got better, consistently was able to play more, and, and that's why he stood out on the back end of that 2019 season, which I'm talking about regular season, probably the last five to six games, and then, of course, the three postseason games. Um, so I think, you know, it was kind of an eye-opener. You know, you talk about a kid who obviously growing up was was head and shoulders bigger than, than anybody he was around, but it just came naturally to show up and two or three kids just can't move you. You get older and you get to a place like LSU and you realize, wow, there's pretty big boys over here. And they're able to go more and more and more. So I think it was it was a good move on Ed's part, the nutrition staff at LSU, to, to you know teach him what it means that his particular body needs to fuel itself and at the same time keep him at optimum performance. So I give a lot of credit uh, to LSU and their nutrition program. And, and I think he's got the lesson and goodness knows uh, he's going to be able to carry that in uh, with the with the facilities that, that Cincinnati will allow for him. 
So I think he did learn his lesson, and that's why I'm excited about what he's going to do. Because even in the NFL, there's not a lot of guys. There's there's more than the average population. Still not a lot of guys as big as he is. <laughs> Final thing for LSU broadcaster Chris Blair. We've got Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, now Tyler Shelvin. They signed Thaddeus Moss as a free agent in the offseason. What do you make of the Bengals adding one LSU player after another from that championship team? Well, one, I think there may be more Bengals jerseys in the state of Louisiana than Saints if this keeps up. (laughs) Uh, Secondly, it seems that LSU has become the farm team for Cincinnati. But, you know, having grown up in the state of Kentucky, Cincinnati was my team growing up. I still have a lot of family in the Cincinnati area. So it's fun for me because now I really have a solid reason to go back and, and root for the Bengals. Um, but, you know, I think so far, so good. You know, hopefully Joe Burrow stays healthy. I think Thaddeus Moss is a, is a prototypical guy who can have a good career in the NFL. And, and Jamar Chase is just, I mean, he's, he's, he's unbelievable. And, uh, you know, to add a guy, I think Tyler's going to feel right at home. Uh, grew up in Lafayette, Louisiana, which is about an hour and a half from Baton Rouge. So moving to Cincinnati will take a little adjustment for him, but I think he's going to look to it. And uh, as I said, there's going to be a lot of Bengals jerseys sold in the state of Louisiana. They sold a bunch last year. They're going to sell even more this year. Chris, the Bengals have five picks left. Don't turn your phone off, okay? (laughs) I'll be ready. I may have to do it between innings, but I'll be ready. Hopefully if another Tiger goes that way. Appreciate your time as always. Thank you. You got it, Dan. Thank you. With her third fourth-round pick, number 139 overall, the Bengals selected a player who is ranked number 100 on Daniel Jeremiah's big board, offensive lineman Deontay Smith out of ECU. He's 6'5", 305 pounds, and has 35-inch arms. He had the largest wingspan of any offensive lineman at the Senior Bowl. Smith missed most of last year with a knee injury after starting 26 consecutive games before it. I got the lowdown on Smith from the Pirates' offensive line coach, Steve Shankweiler. Coach, what are the Bengals getting in Deontay Smith? Well, you're getting a guy that uh, has got tremendous upside. Uh, I'm sure it's well documented he didn't get to play this year except the first game. And uh, he's uh, he was really – this staff, we got back here – or I got back here, the staff got here two years ago – and uh, the, you know, really, truthfully, the place was not in 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 good, you know, good shape. And so we've, you know, recruiting and so forth and developing. And Deontay is a guy that uh, was kind of like a, you know, kind of like a, a hunk of clay. I mean, you could you could develop him and you could teach him, and and he got better and better every week. And uh, it was just unfortunate with the COVID thing. And then he, you know, had some issues where he had a couple things come up where he had to miss so much this year. He was really starting to come on to be a, a really, really excellent college lineman. So I think the future for him is I think he's only got a lot more upside than maybe some other guys uh, because of the fact that he didn't get to play. So uh, I'm excited for him, and I, I'm, I, I would I would really be excited for the Bengals because I think he's going to be a, a, a good project for them. How versatile is he? He is um, – you know, we only played him at left tackle – but I'm, you know, especially after a Shrine Bowl uh, practices, uh, he could he can play any position up front, right or left, guard or tackle. Uh, I'm a, I'm I'm a, I'm 98 sure you can make a center out of him. Hmm. Uh, he's got he's got excellent hip bend. Uh, you know he can play with a good base. Uh, he's got obviously 
anybody has seen him on tape, he's got a great change of direction. Uh, and so uh, he's he's a guy that I think would be, a as a role player, would be a guy that could play uh, multiple positions. He has 35-inch arms and an incredible wingspan. How, how significant is that in his ability? Well, he, you know, obviously length is huge uh, in all sports, but uh, especially for an offensive tackle, uh, you know, and if, if he is moved inside, not many guards or centers have that kind of length. Um, you know, he's got he's, – he's some things he's still got to develop. He's got to – he's got to get a little bit bigger. Uh, you know, his his strength level is not near what it will be as he – you know, he's – you know, as he, as he matures physically. Uh, but his arm length is certainly something that is, has really allowed him to be a really good pass blocker. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that will continue to develop that way. What's Deontay like as a teammate and as a team leader? Well, the best way I can describe that is if you were sitting here and if I could pull up practice film uh, from when he was on the injury reserve, so to speak, uh, this season, and you can see him running up and down the sideline during team periods against the defense, waving a towel and and, and just being doing whatever he can to help. And uh, so he he is a team guy. And, and like I said, you know, things didn't go right for him this year. To be honest. I mean, I think everybody knows that. But uh, it's it shows up on video all the time. Him running up and down the sideline uh, in my drills. He was a guy that was back there coaching the freshmen, uh, coaching the guys, helping them in the meetings on game plan. He does a really good job of uh, of studying studying film, and uh, he is a um, you know he's in the role he had to play this year. Uh, he was really kind of like an assistant coach. Uh, and, and he's got really good football IQ. Uh, he sees things, uh, and he was a real big help to me with the younger guys. Dane Brugler, the draft expert for The Athletic, had him number 89 overall on his big board, which is a third-round draft pick. The Bengals got him late fourth. Would you cl- uh, classify this as something of a steal for Cincinnati? Well, you know, <clears throat> everybody's got opinions on those rankings. Uh I, you know, I, th- I thought that's probably where he would go because just the fact he only played one game this year. So the guys I talked to that called, you know, there was always that question, you know, what, you know, what's the story? You know, it, it, the same questions you used to ask, you know, how did he respond as a teammate when he wasn't playing? Uh, so, you know, I, I think he's right probably where he should have been. But I think what will happen to him as he gets into a system and he gets back in the weight room the way the, the Bengals want him to and, and, and learn their system, his value, his value will rise way above a fourth-round guy here in the next two years. This is your first day off in months, so I appreciate your time. Thanks for the information about Deontay. You bet. Good luck to you guys. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. Now, here's the rundown on the Bengals' remaining draft picks. In the fifth round, they selected kicker Evan McPherson from the University of Florida, the first kicker taken in this year's draft. He was the Gators' kicker for the last three years, making 85% of his attempts with a long of 55 yards. He'll go to training camp as the man to beat for the starting job. The Bengals had two picks in the sixth round, using the first on Georgia offensive lineman Trey Hill, who was the Bulldogs' starting center for the last two seasons. They used their other sixth-round pick on Chris Evans, a running back from Michigan. 
the highly touted recruit from Indianapolis, had a great freshman year averaging seven yards a carry. But his production tailed off after that, and two years ago, he got suspended for the entire season for academic misconduct. He returned to the team last year and didn't get the ball much, but he put himself back on the NFL radar by performing well at the Senior Bowl and at Michigan's Pro Day. The Bengals' final pick in the seventh round was edge rusher Wyatt Hubert from Kansas State. He's 6'3", 258 pounds, and had eight and a half sacks last year and seven the year before. Draft guru Dane Brugler describes him as a productive, football-obsessed rusher. So that's the rundown on the Bengals' seven picks on day three. Now time for an overview of the draft with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. All right, Lap, the 2021 draft is completed for the Bengals. They wound up with 10 picks. They went for five offensive players, four defensive players, and one specialist. How did they do? I think pretty well. You know, you look at you look at what they did in terms of perceived weaknesses, and that's at the line of scrimmage. Offensive and defensive line, got to beef those up. Uh, they, they basically were riddled with injury last year, and they found out they didn't have good enough players uh, as, as uh, depth players. And they were literally signing guys off the street and, uh, and it didn't work out well. So four defensive linemen, three offensive linemen out of their 10 draft picks in the same draft. In the 2020 draft, they went three linebackers. So they have in the last two drafts, you know, given, given heavy loads in terms of picks to specific positions um, on, on their on their football team. And in, I think Lou Anarumo, when, when he talked to us, very well. You know, free agency, we addressed the back end. In the draft here, we've addressed the front end. And uh, obviously in 20, the year before, I draft the linebacker position. Um, addressed the linebacker position in the draft. So, I mean, it's time. It's time to, uh, to hopefully, you know, benefit from the fruits of all that labor, that's for sure. Let's talk about the big trade they made in round two, dropping back eight spots and picking up two second, uh, two extra fourth round draft picks from the New England Patriots. Right now, that looks like the, the key to this entire draft for the Bengals because they got three players that were all ranked in Pro Football Focus's top 109. Jackson Carmen was 49th, according to Pro Football Focus. They got him with a 46th pick. Tyler Shelvin, the massive nose tackle from LSU, was 96th. According to Pro Football Focus, they got him at number 122. Deontay Smith, the offensive lineman from East Carolina, number 109. According to Pro Football Focus, they got him at number 139. So all of that for moving back eight spots. Yeah, and Dan, I, you know, I was, okay, do you trade down with number five? Well, you know, you don't necessarily want to give up one of the premier players in the draft. And uh, they probably didn't have much activity um, where they would move down to because they weren't going to move very far. They want, they had three players identified. One of them went before their fifth pick. A couple of other guys, they didn't want to trade down out of uh, being able to get one of them. So they did it in the second round. And, it's, and I thought it was wise because they traded down to get two additional picks, heart and soul of the draft right where the meat and potatoes were, where the rubber meets the road, you know, in the draft. And, uh, and, and to get the players that they got, I think uh, it, it's going to work out well. I mean, obviously, we don't know until they put shoulder pads and helmets on and start playing. But you look at that, and, and if they hadn't made that trade, 
they, they identified a kicker that they were very comfortable with. And when Darren Simmons speaks, I think he's got enough credibility built up for all these years that people are going to listen. And, uh, you know, when, when he said McPherson's the real deal, uh, there were a few teams who were going to spend a six-round pick on him. The Bengals, because of the three-fourths, used a fifth-round pick on him. And wouldn't have shocked me if they said, hey, you know what? We have, uh, we have the, our, the kicker and another player rated about the same. But the kicker's going to put points on the board. We'd really like to have them. We have a need there. Let's let's uh, let the chips fall as they may. Maybe they got the player later on in the draft. Maybe they didn't, who they had rated equal to them. But it happens every year. You have two players. You choose one. And the following round, you get that guy that you had rated right up there with the other player. And it happens with a lot of teams uh, throughout the entire league, up and down. So I think that uh, that trade, you know, gave them a lot of flexibility during the course of the, the heart and soul of the draft, for sure. I think if Jamar Chase stays healthy, everybody expects him to excel in the NFL. He just seems to be such a can't-miss type prospect. I think a lot of people are going to wind up evaluating this draft based on how Jackson Carmen turns out, since you've got the obvious need on the offensive line, and he was their first offensive lineman selected. You interviewed former Bengals offensive line coach Paul Alexander on your podcast a few weeks ago. I spoke to him after the selection of Jackson Carmen on Friday night. Here's the quote from Paul Alexander. I saw him as a first round pick. I know yep. that Mel Kuyper and friends probably had him lower, but too bad. I think it's legitimate. I think he's a steal. The more that you learn about Jackson Carmen, what do you think? Uh, not only Paul Alexander had that comment to me uh, when I asked about Jackson Carmen, other people around the league that I trust had that comment as well. Late, you know, later first round, Worst case scenario, very early second round. And that was a big consensus. I mean, you know, not just a uh, majority by one vote. That, that was a consensus of, of quite a few people. And two others that, that aren't, you know, affiliated with teams in the league or whatever, the two Sims boys, uh, Chris and Phil Sims, they both felt the same way about Jackson Carmen, that, you know, the people that they had talked to around the league, which would be different people than I talked to around the league, I'm sure. Uh, they felt like Jackson Carmen was was that type of a prospect. So uh, a guy that big to have that kind of agility and that kind of athleticism, I, I think I think that he's a he's a plug and play right guard. And I think potentially, depending on what happens with Riley Reef, he's only under contract for a year. Wouldn't shock me if in 2022 he kicks out to right tackle, like Andrew Whitworth did. In the early stages of his career at left guard, they had Levi Jones. Levi gets hurt. Witt kicks out. You know, Carmen uh, maybe starts at the right guard spot initially, and God forbid injury, but there's an injury that may may change, or uh, he plays the whole year at right guard, and then he's ready maybe to assume the right tackle position the following year, you know? And, that, and then I think you, you, you go and you say, hey, Deontay Smith, what about that guy? Oh, I, I think he's a, a developmental prospect at the left tackle position. I think that's his best position, um, and I'm not saying he can't play right, but you know it's it's best man wins. Uh, you know it's it's like I I hope Jonah Williams goes out and has an All Pro year. You need to have at least three tackles. You've got to <laughs> love to have four, um, but you know every game day, as we know, Dan, there's as few as seven offensive linemen activated, and you know if you get up to nine, that's a huge number. It's usually seven or eight. So guys have to have position versatility. 
And the, the interesting thing is the common denominator with all these guys that they drafted four defensive linemen, three offensive linemen, with the exception of the of the behemoth that uh, they drafted out of LSU to, to play uh, nose tackle. Uh, he, he's he's not going to uh, Shelvin's not going to play you know a defensive end for you. That guy that guy's pretty much a he's a one technique or a three technique guy though potentially. Uh, but you got a lot of position versatility with your offensive and defensive line and edge rush guys that can drop as linebackers. I think that they did a, they did a pretty good job in that area as well uh, as well. And and the players showing that they can play more than one position and that's a must in today's NFL. It really is. They treated edge rusher this year exactly the way they treated linebacker last year third round last year logan wilson this year joseph asai fourth round last year akeem davis gaither this year cam sample last pick last year marcus bailey this year wyatt hubert so i I don't know if there's a direct correlation we did it it worked let's do it again uh I, i don't think you know it's it's a direct formula that they were following but it is interesting that they you know, devoted 30% of the draft to that position. I agree with that, Dan. And, and I think that the one thing that they did, some, they may have different body types and different kinds of strengths, weaknesses, whatever, within the body types. But the one thing they all have, they all play like their hair's on fire. You know, they, we talked about it before. Uh, they, they, they wanted guys like Sam Hubbard and Hendrickson, who are effort guys. I mean, they're going to empty the effort bucket every single snap. And the three guys they've added, are going to do that. I mean, if they get beaten, it's not going to be lack for lack of trying. You know, I can tell you that right now. There may be a mistake made or whatever the case may be, but it's it's not going to be because it was lack of 100% all out give, given everything you've got. If you're going to make a mistake, as, as the old coaching saying goes, make sure you make it 100%. And so you can live with those kind of mistakes. And, that, and that's what that's what they're going to have on that, uh, on that edge. Um, Mark Dufter did an awesome job, I think, in, uh, in, in, quote, recruiting these guys as such or laying the foundation because every guy that talked to, uh, talked to us on their Zoom uh, pressers after they were drafted, they all talked about how impressed they were with Coach Duffner, you know, when they were uh, dealing with him. So he did a nice job in terms of identifying and laying the found work, foundation and groundwork uh, to get these guys in the fold and, and uh, you know, start to teach them some of the concepts that are important here in Cincinnati. So. It's going to be very interesting. I think they're at various stages. I think some have more raw ability. It's interesting to me. I think Asai probably obviously has the most raw ability, and he got drafted where he got drafted for that reason. But Hubert, Hubert's got a plan. Hubert, Hubert is a is a is a football junkie. He's possessed by the game, and and he looks he he breaks tape down. He finds strengths weaknesses. He has multiple moves. He's, he's got a game plan, and the coach is basically the last year that he was playing. They said, you, you just figure it out. You find what you think is the, uh, you know, the mismatch up and down the line of screen. We'll let you rush anywhere. So I think this kid's pretty darn advanced as, as far as those things go. I may be in the minority, but I love the selection of Evan McPherson, the kicker in the fifth round. It's been so long since the Bengals had an elite kicker. Maybe early Mike Nugent, maybe you have to go back to Shane Graham. But when you're in a division where you see Justin Tucker twice a year and you realize the difference that a great kicker can make, it makes you want one that much more. And who knows if he'll turn out to be that good, but certainly based on his track record with the Florida Gators, they've got a chance at least to have an elite kicker for the first time in a long time. 
you know, it gives you, and as a teammate, when you've got a guy that's got a howitzer hanging off of his right hip, as soon as you cross midfield, if you're on offense, you're like, yeah, we're in range. Let's see what we can get done here. We're, we're already in. It takes so much pressure off because, oh, yeah, this, we're good. We're, we're in range already. Let, let's, let's try to finalize this. Somebody go make a play. Let's, let's, let's make sure we get seven instead of three. We got three on the board right now. And, you know, talk, talk about the cold weather and, and that sort of thing. You know, when you, when you have a guy that's a dominant kicker, it, no, no doubt it affects the ball. I mean, it's, it's pure science. The cold weather, you know, it compresses the football, affects the ball. The heat expands the football. The cold weather compresses the football. And it's like kicking a rock, you know, the colder it gets. But a guy that's got the leg strength, you don't lose as much distance with a guy like that. You know, it, it's, it's not like you fell off a cliff in terms of, boy, our range with our kicker is from the 51 yard line, uh, you know, when it's at the end of the preseason or early stages of the regular season, but boy, man, we start to get into November and December, eh, maybe 45 yard line if we're lucky. I mean, you, you, that's, that's a tough thing to deal with. So yeah, when you have a guy that's, uh, you know, that, that much better, you know, that, that much better physically, I, it, it, it's a big factor. It, it affects field position. It affects decision-making. It affects all that stuff. And not to mention, kickoffs i mean tucker can intimidate you the way he he can boom it through the end zone for a touchback or he can hang it up to pluto and <laughs> and the kickoff coverage team is is and you know if you, you can't fair catch it you can't take a chance letting it hit on the field. so you have to return it and you know they're going to pin you inside the 20 yard line you know and so the kickers that have that type of a an effect on a football game that affect you know how many first downs you have to get how close you have to get before you decide you're going to try and attempt a field goal. I mean, there's, there's a big ripple effect when you have a guy that good. I agree. There are no cornerbacks in this draft. There are no safeties in this draft. There are no linebackers. There was only one wide receiver uh, running backs uh, drafted late. So certainly those positions will be addressed uh, among the undrafted free agents, but was there anything lacking out of those spots, did you feel like, well, they, they probably should have used draft capital on one of those positions? You know, not, not really, um, because it, it was, it would hit so hard, you know, in free agency. And, and uh, I, I mean, they, they remade the back end twice, two years in a row, basically in, in free agency. I, I, I just think the one thing I'm sure they're going to sign in terms of a college free agent uh, if it's a wide receiver or, or a running back or a corner, whatever it is, is a guy that has kick return abilities. I think, you know, Darren's going to want to have a little competition, you know, as far as, uh, as far as that's concerned back there, punt return, kick return, particularly punt return with Erickson, you know, signing uh, with the Houston Texans. So, you know, I, I think there's that that's going to be a little bit of a factor in terms of who they bring in uh, from a college free agent standpoint, but I, I you know, Giovanni Bernard moving on, uh, they they made the uh, decision to to make the pick that they made. Uh, and Chris Evans is a guy that is was the best player available on the board at that time in the sixth round. And he's a guy that can run routes and catch the football and maybe be, you know, the next generation of uh, Giovanni Bernard. So they were really high on him. You know, obviously he had his had his issue, self-inflicted issue that he had to uh, deal with from an adversity standpoint. But. He stood up and, and, and like a man and, and said, you know, he didn't try to blame it on anybody else and curl up and assume the fish. And he just went to work literally three jobs and 
you know, doing everything he could to, uh, to make sure that, uh, that he did right by everybody. And now here he is in the national football league, getting his chance. So you root for guys like that. We're a second chance society. And this guy obviously is, uh, his atone for his mistake. And I'd, I'd like to see him have a hell of a, hell of a career. And that was apparently an academic issue at Michigan, so it was not a drug suspension or a legal problem. Uh, apparently, it was academic-related, so uh, yeah, certainly not something that would be a huge red flag. Yeah, my understanding was a plagiarism uh, deal. And, you know, that's, you, know, you make mistakes. Young people make mistakes, and, you know, you, and that, but, you know, to me, um, that's a mistake. Cheating is a mistake. There's no question about it. But it's not something that you end a guy's life for, you know, in his professional career, his professional life. And um, he's learned from it and he's moved on and and he's he's in a much better place right now. Obviously, that's for sure. You know who I think might be a winner uh, out of this draft for the Bengals? Josh Bynes. They didn't take any linebackers. He's still unsigned. I wonder if this increases the likelihood that they bring him back for another year. Yeah, that's a good point, Dan, because you talk to any one of the young linebackers and they just they, they rave about, you know, he's like an assistant coach on the field. So um, guys, a lot of these young linebackers, they drafted last year, year one to year two. Uh, again, it's not for everybody, but I can atone, attest to the fact that um, you do start to see the game a little bit differently. The game is a lot more clear. It slows down. There's, there's a lot of things that uh, – you know, you, you take from your rookie year experience, build quickly. So if they feel like they still need that influence, probably, you know, and, and, and unless they feel players just dropped off the face of the earth, I think you're right. I think you probably benefit from that. I would not be surprised, though, to see college free agent or two uh, at that position group. I don't think there's any question about that. Whatever positions they didn't draft uh, anybody for, uh, yep. they will go out and sign at least one undrafted free agent. Yeah, they will. There's no question. And, uh, you know, and that, that includes the tight end position safety and, and includes all of them. Uh, just if for nothing else, to have bodies out there. I, I can remember one year where Mike McCormick, got up in front of us as an offensive line. Cause we looked around the room at training camp and there were only nine of us, you know, and it's, and he, he stands up, I think it was nine, maybe it was eight. No, it might've been eight. And he stands up, he goes, congratulations, man. You've all made the team. That's the good news. The bad news. That's when we had two a days, full pads. I mean, it was brutal. Because bad news is you guys are, it's, it's going to be survival of the best, the fittest. It's going to be, Darwinism at its best. Whoever can make it through training camp, and hopefully we have all you guys for the start of the regular season because there's no reps being divided out to anybody else. You guys are taking them all. And that was a long, tough training camp, man. That was brutal. So it has been an eventful stretch for Bengals fans. The uniforms were revealed. The draft is now completed. Pretty soon there will be voting for the other two members of the initial Ring of Honor class. And then before you know it, training camp. I'm telling you, it's uh, it's going to be upon us before anybody can uh, can blink twice. And the numbers, uh, the, the participation, the viewership, and the the number of hits in terms of social media, television, however you uh, digital, however you got your draft information. I guess the numbers were crazy. Uh, Commissioner Goodell kept saying, you know, that there were stupid numbers in terms of uh, interest in the draft, and 
the number of people that showed up at Cleveland uh, to, to witness it and to be outside and, and be part of the, uh, the draft of the National Football League. It, it has turned into to quite an event. There's no doubt about it. And, man, I know we've talked about it a lot, Dan. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. Would you like the Roger Goodell chair for your family room or living room? After I, uh, after I disinfect it, take it through the car wash, there were, there were so many different butts in that chair, man. I'm not, I don't think my wife, Lynn, would let me bring it in the house. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast. <laughs>